We're going to be over in 1 Samuel. We're covering a number of chapters here today because that what we're looking at will make more sense if we cover them all together. But we hit you with this question up on Facebook if you were up there and saw it. Could I be a person of honor but heading in a direction of dishonor? It is possible. It has happened to many people. Some of them that we see in the Word and of course it's happened to people in, in life today. They thought they were right. They thought they were justified in the direction that they went. But they took a direction of dishonor. We're going to see that path today, how they got on that path. And we'll also take a look at how a person of honor rightly confronts people of dishonor. How many times have you had to confront people of dishonor and you seem like you're battling with not quite all the arsenal that they have? They can come at you with more than, than what they have. And yet, we're people of God. So we want to take a look at, at this. That's why we're, we're making sure to go into the, the extra chapters that we are, we are looking at here. Now, last week we took a, the people of honor. See a big God who can bless all abundantly, but others cannot. People who, do, who are not people of honor, they don't see a big God. They see a small God or they see no God. People of honor... Or people of dishonor take on the limitations of the things they worship. And we will too if we don't serve a big God. We have to understand our God has no limits. As the song said, nothing is impossible. Now I gave you a little chart here because uh, this is the way I pictured it. I really couldn't think of any other way to do it. So I wanted to make sure that you had this picture in front of you. And you will notice that in your outline. And if you listen online and don't get the outline emailed to you, make sure that you uh, let us know your email address and we will put you on that list and you'll get all that uh, before the, the service starts. Now, Saul started as a man of honor. We told you that honor draws, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, faith, grace, and mercy. These things draw the blessings of God to us. But honor is what really finally reels it in. But dishonor will push it away. Many times people have come close. Boy, the blessings of God, they seem to be all around me. I just can't seem to, to pull them in because we're not walking in the honor that is necessary for that to be brought in. And we want to learn more about how we can to walk in honor. I put in here two arenas. And for the scope that we're looking at, there are just two arenas. There's the arena of dishonor and there's the arena, arena of honor. We showed that just by putting two, two, uh, squares, rectangles there that you can, you can see in your, in your outline. And I put a number next to each one. These are persons. These represents person. And I'll show it to you this way. Person one, this is the person of dishonor. See, they're in the arena of dishonor. And they are becoming more dishonorable. They're going in the direction of being dishonorable. Because you can, as you can become more honorable, you can also become more dishonorable. Person number two, this is a person of dishonor, but they've made a change and they're becoming more honorable. They're going in an honorable direction. Person number three is a person of honor, learning honor. They're not walking in a great amount of honor, but they're, they're walking in honor and they are a person of honor. Person number four is a person of greater honor than person number three and they're becoming even more honorable. Person number five is a person of honor, becoming dishonorable. Person number five, 
And we'll get into person number six in just a little bit. But person number five is person of honor who has become dishonorable, heading in a dishonorable direction. This is Saul. Saul was a person of honor going in an honorable direction. But he made some decisions. We want to take a look at some of the things that went on with the turn of that. I'm not going to go over all the verses of Scripture, all the, the chapters, but if you went into the chapters before David and Goliath, which is chapter 17, if you go into those chapters before, you will see how Saul made this turn. We're just going to summarize some, some of this here. The first thing that Saul did in making this turn was Saul saw himself as a victim and needed to change. I gave you some blank space there. You can write this in if you want to. He saw himself as a victim and needed to change. Remember when he was up there? He was the king. He was supposed to lead these people in the battle. And Samuel said, wait seven days and I will come and make the sacrifice and then we will go into battle. And he waited up until the seventh day and then people that were in the army, they started to to leave. They started to depart. And he was concerned about this. We need to go into battle. People are leaving. We need to get things started. So he decided to make the sacrifice himself. And as soon as he was done making the sacrifice, Samuel came. And, of course, he blamed Samuel. Well, you didn't come on time. He blamed the people. Well, they weren't, they weren't here. See, he saw himself as a victim. One of the first things that the devil is going to do to you to try and get you to change from a person of honor into a person of dishonor is to get you to see yourself as a victim. It does not matter where you see yourself as a victim. You can see yourself as a victim at work. You can see yourself as a victim in your family. You can see yourself as a victim in your neighborhood. You can see yourself as a victim in any situation that is in your life. He does not care. If he can get you to begin to think, I am a victim, people are against me, people are doing unrighteous things to me, this is the start. He needs to get that going on in you. When you look at David and some of the things that we saw in his life, he certainly could have been a person who saw himself as a victim, but he refrained from that. Joseph was a person who could have seen himself as a victim, but he refrained from that. He kept himself out of that thinking and kept himself honorable. It's huge that you stay in the area of honor. Second thing is, Saul saw himself as on a path that wasn't reaping benefits. He saw himself going in a direction, this is not helping me. Once you see yourself as a victim, you become very much concerned with what helps you. Not what helps Israel. Not what helps the place where I work. Not what helps the team. What helps me. This is what we need to do in order to make this turn. He knows, first off, we've got to get you to see yourself as a victim. Secondly, i got you to see you on a path that's not reaping benefits. And so you'll begin to see all the benefits you have received in life as being nothing. And I need to have this to be a change. Here's the third. This is all to make that turn. 
You are not, Saul saw himself as not appreciated by God and others. This is the third step in it. You begin to see, you know what? People don't appreciate what I, what I'm offering. People don't appreciate what I do for them. People are not thankful for all the things that I have sacrificed and all the things that I have done. I see myself as a victim. I see myself in a robe that doesn't benefit me. And I see God and others not appreciating me for what I'm doing. Now you can see this path in others. I'm going to read off a couple of them to you. But can you see this? Adam and Eve. They saw themselves as a victim. How? Because the enemy came up to them and said, God is keeping you from seeing both good and evil. He is keeping you from being God's. Oh, I didn't know God was against us in this way. He saw them on a put them on a path of not reaping benefits. You see, if you ate of this tree that God's preventing you from, this is what you would gain. Oh, my path. I have all the trees of the garden. I have, I'm in paradise. And yet, it's not good enough. It's not bringing me the benefits that I need. God does not appreciate who we are. When you look at Cain, did not Cain follow the same thing? He saw himself as a victim. Why does God not receive my offering? He's on a path that wasn't reaping benefits. He's not appreciated by God and others and he rises up and commits murder. Aaron and Miriam, we looked at them in this series. They saw themselves as a victim. Why is Moses always the guy? Maybe we ought to be the person that God turns to, that people look to. Why is it always Moses? We're on a path that's not reaping benefits. He's not the only one who hears from God. Why is it that he has to be at the top? They don't see themselves as being appreciated by God and others. Jeroboam was picked by God because of the character that was in him. And as soon as he had the opportunity, as soon as he took the throne, well, this uh, path is not going to benefit me. They're going to eventually go back to David and they're going to kill me. He saw himself as a victim, not appreciated by God and others, and he changed his direction. How about Jesus in the temptations? Isn't the devil just trying to get him to see him as a victim? Here you are, the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. Why is the Son of God here not having any bread to eat? He saw him on a path of not reaping benefits. Look, I'll put you on a path. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you what you came for. This is, this is nothing new. And we can keep on reading off people. How about Judas? Can't you follow the same line of thought in Judas? And there's others that you can get into as well. Go through the Old Testament. Boy, there's so many kings and so many uh, people of God and not of God who followed the same path. This is the path. This is how the devil gets you on this path to turn from going in the way of honor to going in the way of dishonor. This is the first thing. He's got to get you to turn. You're going into a direction of honor. He has to get you to turn. Understand this. If you are not going in the direction of honor, you are going in the direction of dishonor. The natural course of things, the natural course of this course of this world will take you into a place of dishonor. Dishonor as God sees it. You have to intentionally go after the direction that you need to go. You have to intentionally say, this is where I'm going. It's like if you're paddling 
up a river. If you're going uh, with the current, it's no big deal. You can just you can just go even if you don't paddle, you're still moving. You're going to drive. But if you want to go up river, now you've got to paddle. Now you've got to go. You've got to put some effort into it. It's not just going to happen. Things are are things are coming against you. So uh, I've heard it said to, uh, before to me just another natural natural things natural ways of thinking. Um, I've always I always identify myself to people when we talk about this. I am a conservative. I don't really identify with a political party, but I do identify with conservative uh, views. One of the people I know who uh, respect very greatly, a couple of people actually in this area, they will tell you, if you are not actively being conservative, you will become liberal. You, you have to be active. Every day it's something that you have to go to because the natural current of things is to go in the other direction. It's the same way here with honor and dishonor. If you are not actively going in a direction of honor, the current will take you in a direction of dishonor. You are going one direction or another. You are not standing still. So that's how the devil will get you to turn. Once he made the turn, he became a man who knew the truth but obeyed what he liked. I'm sure that doesn't describe anyone here, but you may know people. They know the truth, but they obey what truth they like. Well, I don't like that truth. I'm not doing that one. I don't think that one applies to me. See, you cannot get to a place in life where you take the truth that you know from the Word of God and not apply it to yourself unless you are walking in the direction of dishonor because you are dishonoring God by not obeying His commands. So Saul became a man who knew the truth but obeyed what he liked. Did he not know the truth? Wait for Samuel. What did he do? He did what he liked. Later on, he goes in, he says, go in here and, and annihilate these people. Wipe them out. Don't bring anything back. And so they brought back all this stuff. And Samuel says, uh, what comes up to Saul, and Saul says, see, I've obeyed God. And Samuel, remember his, his line? Then what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? <laughs> They're giving you what? Well, the people. People, you know, they, they wanted to keep some of the best bring it back to God for sacrifice. And we all know the line that Samuel came up with next. God desires obedience more than sacrifice. See, he knew the truth, but he obeyed what he liked. That is not a person of honor. That is a person who is going in the wrong direction. He knows he did wrong, but covers up or lies to conceal it for those who know the truth, or from those who know the truth. That's a longer one, I know. But knows he did wrong, but covers up or lies to conceal it from those who know the truth. See, they know the truth, but they have to, they have to conceal it. We can't let these people know. There's people in government, they do things, they know they're, that it's not right, so we got to cover them up. We feel good about doing them, but we got to keep it from other people because they won't understand. Here's the third one. If exposed, excuses what was done by what others did or didn't do. 
You saw that with, with Saul. We already went over that. What did Eve do when God confronted her? Well, the serpent. What did Adam do when God confronted him? Well, this wife that you gave me. What did Aaron do when Moses confronted him about the golden calf? Well, these people. They make excuses and they blame others. It's what others did. It's what others didn't do. Saul blamed Samuel. You didn't come on time. Well, the people, they decided to do this. So that's going in the direction of dishonor. Now, turning, turning back is still possible. You know, David did it. David went in the direction of dishonor. He was an honorable man, but went in the direction of dishonor for uh, quite a few months. But he turned back by repenting. Eventually, people that were people of honor who follow the direction of dishonor will become people of dishonor. They will take on a spirit of dishonor we talked about before. This is person number six. They drifted all the way out of the area of honor, all the way into the area of dishonor. And once you get into that place, even though you were a person of honor, even though you were a person who knew the word, he arrived at dishonor. Dishonorable people lie to conceal the truth for the purpose of getting what they want. Dishonorable people lie to conceal the truth for the purpose of getting what they want. They generally hide the truth from honorable people and seek dishonorable ones to join them. This is what they do. They, they are made in, making the trip. They're already in the area of dishonor. They generally hide the truth from honorable people because they can tell that's an honorable person. We need to keep the truth from them. And they seek dishonorable ones to join them. Here's the kicker. They are now capable of actions they never would have considered in thought. Now, we're going to show you a real-life example of that last one here in this story. But I want to bring it to just some modern history. Have you ever wondered, how could people throughout history do the things they did against people? China, how could they abuse and deal with people the way they had done? How they just wiped out so many thousands, hundreds of thousands, even into the millions of people? How is it that Hitler could get people who seemed to at one point to have been good folks to just go up and shoot people in the head for no other reason than they were told? Or to load people up in the gas chambers and then turn the gas on? Women, children, it didn't matter. Just to load them up and they feel okay. But how do you get to that place? This is the process. This is the way the enemy takes you. You look at the Soviet Union. They killed so many people in the Soviet Union through the, the different uh, 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 czars. and uh, I mean, they were, they were brutal people. I heard people that have been over in the area of Siberia, they said there are so many bodies buried in Siberia that the ground cannot contain them. It's cold and it pushes them up. And when you walk out into the land in Siberia, you'll see bones all over. 
How do people get to that place where they can do it? Anybody ever see the movie Schindler's List? Anybody ever see that? I have not. I tried. I went in there a couple of times and it just it hit me too hard. I couldn't watch it. I mean, they really nailed that movie. Uh, and you just, I watched some of the scenes and some of the things that were done that people would do with seemingly least amount of care. I remember one, one scene with the little girl and at the end of it, she's dead. They don't show all the stuff in between. I don't think they did anyway. Uh, it's, how, how can people get there? You see, you're trying to understand people that have made this trip into the area of dishonor. And you're over here in the arena of honor, pursuing more honor. You can't understand it. You can't comprehend it. How can this, how can this go on? But let's get to our, our narrative. First Samuel 19. Now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants and they, that they should kill David. But Jonathan's son Saul delighted greatly in David. So this is how brazen we are now getting. We've got a hero in the land. He took out the giant. He has slain thousands of, of uh, Philistines. He has helped to deliver Israel. The people in Israel love him. So we need to kill him. And so he has a meeting of all his leaders, including Jonathan, his friend. Yeah, uh, we need to kill David. Now look at verse 2. So Jonathan spoke up to his father and said, You shall not kill him. That's not quite what it said, is it? You notice that, and now if you were Jonathan, how many of you would be rising up in that meeting and say, Ah, uh-uh, no, you are not going to do this. It doesn't seem that he did it. So Jonathan told David, saying, My father seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in the secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand by my, beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. That what I observe, I will tell you. Thus Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very uh, have been very good toward you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against his innocent blood to kill David without a cause? So Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan told him all these things. So Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence in times past. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and they fled from him. So what happens here is he doesn't bring this up in the meeting. He, he's, he's an honorable person. He brings his father to a private place, has this conversation in private. Dad, why would you want to kill David? David has done nothing against you. He's been nothing but on your side. And he listed all the things that he did. And it seems that Saul has relented. I think more than likely Saul just said, ah, we're going to do this plan, but we're not quite ready to pull this off yet. 
And when we do, we got to get Jonathan out of it. So he uh, goes back to acting the way he's supposed to because he knows how he's supposed to act. He knows what normal is. And he's going to go, he's going to act that way. Let's David go in and out for a little while. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall, so David fled and escaped that night. Don't get sidetracked by this distressing spirit from the Lord. In the Hebrew mind, if God didn't stop it, God sent it. But understand this, the reason that David's playing would affect the spirit was they realized that David played with an anointing. The anointing came from God. You're not going to have an anointing that comes from God to sway a spirit that also comes from God. So this spirit is not a godly spirit. But it's one that would come upon him and David would play. So he's playing and he got so enraged when this spirit came upon him. You see, when the spirit of God comes upon people, they don't get inspired to murder. But that's what Saul did. And he drove the spear into the wall. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal led David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took an image and laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair for his head, and covered it with clothes. Now don't be thinking... Idol image. It's probably not an idol image. They weren't that um, popular in, in Israel at this time. They will become popular. But, uh, you know, you've seen places they have these little, just the, the head, you know, just carved to somebody famous or whatever it might be. And uh, that's probably just one of those kind of things that they took. And they put that in the bed, put some uh, hair on it, made it look like it's a person. So they came to the to the house. They wanted to take him, and he and she said, "Well, he's not feeling well. He's kind of you know in there sleeping. He's sick." Verse fourteen, verse fifteen. Then Saul sent the messenger back to David, saying, "Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him." Saul has no care about the health of David, and so these messengers come back and they they say, "Well, we didn't bring him in. He's not, he's not feeling well today. Uh, maybe tomorrow he'll be feeling better." And then. You can just kind of picture how Saul does this. What do you mean? Get back over to that house. Bring him over here. I don't care if he's in the bed. Bring the whole bed. I'll kill him in the bed. And when the messengers had come in, there was the image in the bed with a goat, with a cover of goat's hair for his head. Then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent, my <clears throat> and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said, Let me go. Why should I kill you? That's not what happened at all. She had to talk him into it. But she doesn't want to be in front of her father saying, Hey, I talked him into this. He says, Well, you know, he's a wimp. He said, please let me go. So, you know, but he's yelling at his daughter. So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him 
And he and Samuel went and stayed at Naoth. Now was told Saul, saying, Take note, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the group of prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as leader over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When Saul was told, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. Then Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then he also went to Ramah and came to the great wall, a well that is at Seku. So he asked and said, Where are Samuel and David? And someone said, Indeed, they are at Naoth in Ramah. So he went there to Naoth in Ramah. Then the Spirit of God was upon him also, and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he also stripped off his clothes, prophesied before Samuel in like manner, and laid down naked all that day and all that night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, by being naked, it probably just means he took his kingly go, uh, robes off, just like David did when he was worshiping. Now, why would Saul speak to Jonathan about a plot to kill David when he knows that they're not only close, but in covenant? So if he's got any more plots here, he's not going to be sharing them with Jonathan. He's going to be keeping them to himself. John, Jonathan talks Saul out of his first plot. He's not going to be able to talk him out of any more. From here on out, Jonathan's going to be out of the plans. And so these plans that are trying to get him brought in, he left Jonathan out of those. Jonathan probably, he, he doesn't know anything that's going on. He doesn't, um, he may have already been on assignment. He may have been away. Maybe Saul sent him away. We don't know what that, that would be. But here in verse 1 of chapter 20, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. He doesn't believe that his father is hiding this from him. He believes his father is completely transparent on all this. And David says to him, Look, why is your father plotting this about about me and not telling you? And then why aren't you telling me? And so Jonathan says, No, no, no. If he was planning anything, I'd know about it and I'd be telling you. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you desire, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it. He's basically saying this, this, Look, I really don't know anything that's going on. Whatever you want me to do to try and fix this, I will do it. You tell me what you have, if you have a plan in mind. You tell me what you want to do. I have no idea this is going on. I have no plan. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is a new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission for me of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have, have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, 
Kill me yourself. Why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, Far be it from you, for I know certainly that evil, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me, or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. They, I'm not going to read all the scripture. But they came up with this, this idea. And he says, look, I'm going to shoot an arrow. I'm going to come out here and shoot some arrows. And I'm going to have a boy with me. And he's going to go chase him. And after he chases them, if I tell him the arrows are beyond you, then it's not good. If I say you're beyond the arrows, then it's okay. You can come on back in. So they developed this thing so that he can convey the message of what he finds out without David revealing where he is. Jump on down to verse 24. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He is unclean, surely. He is unclean. And it happened the next day, that the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, please let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Do you imagine that Saul who is trying to protect the throne so that it's there for his son Jonathan to inhabit it would ever imagine that he would try and kill his own son? That he would drive a spear at his own son, to try and kill him at dinner. In full view of everyone there. He's already tried to, with the spear with David and failed. He tried here with the spear with Jonathan. One could conclude that Saul's not very good with the spear. <laughs> but he failed on both these times. But what does a person have to do to get so mad at a situation that he's willing to kill his own son, the son he expects to sit on his throne and to be king in his place. The son that he says, I'm trying to protect the throne for you, David is a threat. And he's ready to kill him. Can you see how this path will take you down a place and make you make decisions that at the time make perfect sense to you? But people looking on it from outside and say, what are you doing? How do you do things like this? 
But that's the direction that he's gone. Because he's gone in the way of dishonor. He has picked up a spirit of dishonor. And he is completely in the realm of those that are dishonorable. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? This is one of Saul's top men. Why are you here by yourself? People should be around you. You're a target coming out here from the enemy by yourself. Why are you out here by... You, you, there should be people around you. So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you. Or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Uh, the best we can tell, there's no command about that. But it seems to come from something in Exodus chapter 19. I believe it was verse 15 that has that uh, that in there. Uh, only reference to it. And they seem to have held to that all this time. Not a direct command. Just a, was a command for a situation. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessel of the young men are holy. And the bread is in effect common even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. What you had is they had the, the show bread that's holy bread, but after a day of it being there, they would remove that bread and put new bread in its place. So there's the old bread, which is now no longer the show bread, no longer the holy bread. Other bread has been put in its place. He's saying, we can really take that because it's not holy bread anymore. It was holy bread, but it's not now. Remember, Jesus talked about David having done this in the New Testament, so apparently God was not upset with him for doing it. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the show bread, which had been taken from the Lord in order to be, to be put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, now remember his position, he's chief of the herdsmen. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take, if you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. So he takes the, the only sword that was in the house. And he takes that with him so that he has some, some kind of arming with him. Of course, David's grown up some by now, so he's probably bigger than he was when he first took a, over that sword. Now, he misrepresents this trip to Ahimelech. He does not say what this trip is about. David is a person of honor dealing with a person of dishonor. So we're going to observe some of the things that David does in, in uh, looking at this. Now, verse, tw verse 5 of chapter 22. Skip on down to there. 
There's other stuff that happened in between. If you want to read about that, you can. But I uh, want to stay on topic here. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. When Saul heard that David and, and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gabeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing around him. Then Saul said to his servants, Who stood about him? Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Can you hear the victim mentality in him? He still has it. That's not going to leave him. People of dishonor will always have this to a degree. So he looks to them and he says, look, all this stuff has been going on and none of you have helped me out with this. None of you have told me anything that Jonathan and David were doing. None of you told me where David was. None of you told me these things that was happening in the kingdom. Don't you feel sorry for me? Don't you want to help me? Who is going to give you stuff? I'm the king. I can give you stuff. I can give you vineyards. I can give you positions. So Saul is upset with his men. And he's basically offering them a reward. You give up some information. Give me some helpful information. Uh, we'll make some stuff happen for you. Now, people of dishonor see honor as dishonor. This is important. You've got to get this down. It's not in your outline. But people of dishonor see honor as dishonor and dishonor as honor. That's how they do it. Saul looks at his men and what they're doing that is honorable, he sees as dishonor. And in a moment, some of them are going to do some dishonorable things and he's going to see that as honor. If you wonder why some people in this world do things that make you pull your hair out and say, I don't know, how do people think that way? What in the world is going on that people can think this way about things? How is it that people can be mad at one situation and go take other people they're not even involved and burn their stuff, shoot at them, kill them, do all this? How can they? You wonder, I pull my hair out while I'm trying to figure this out. You're mad at these people, so you go over to these people who have nothing to do with it and take it out on them. That doesn't make sense to me. Because people of dishonor do dishonorable things and think them honorable and call them honorable. Don't you dare call what is dishonor honorable or what is honorable dishonor. Don't do it. Because you'll, you'll find some things out about the wrath of God. You do not want to get into that mix. I, I, if you want to take some time, we could see other places in the scripture where people took things that were honorable and made them dishonorable. But we're not doing that to, today. We're, we're staying here with this story. Verse 9. Then answered Doeg, the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Now, we read over the story of what David did when he came into the city. 
What did David do? He asked for food and he asked for a weapon. Was there anything in that story about him asking the priest to inquire of God? There is not. Why does Doeg, who was there, who saw what was going on, why does Doeg add this line? Why does he put something extra in here? It wasn't in the... We had that long narrative of the things that were going on. It's not there. But he pulls it out. He's trying to get good, get in good with Saul. And he maybe he figures this story by itself isn't quite enough. We've got to add some more stuff to it. Now, if you're wondering, Doag, his name means fearful. So either he's fearful and tries to do things to appease people. Now, why does Saul come away from hearing this thinking the worst of Ahimelech? Why does he think that Ahimelech is behind a conspiracy? Verse 11, So the king called to Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitab, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitab. He answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should arise against me to lie in wait, as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Question. Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father. For your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you in all your father's house. Now he's already convicted them by hearing one person's testimony that we already know was exaggerated. And Ahimelech even says, I didn't do that. He didn't deny the other things, but I didn't do that. I did not know that David was not on your business. He is your most faithful servant. Why would I question anything that he would say to me? No, 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 you have a conspiracy. You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. Who is Saul to pronounce death upon him? Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David. And because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. Did Ahimelech and them folks know? They did not. Does Saul want to hear it? He does not. You will see this many times in court cases today. Court cases that get brought out into the news media. Court cases that are tried in the media. People have already determined who's guilty and who's not by what they read in the papers, by what they heard on the news. And you cannot convince them of anything else because they are people of dishonor. People of dishonor do not walk honorably. Walking honorably is to know what God says 
On the basis of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And what does Saul do? On the basis of one. We've seen things in court cases today that multiple witnesses came up. It did not happen that way and still people will not believe it. Still people will go and try this thing. Unless it comes out the way we want, we're burning stuff. We're killing people. We're rioting. Those are people of dishonor and I have no problem saying it. They are people of dishonor. They are going in a direction of dishonor and it is an opposite direction of God and the things of God. Yet, they will think they are going in the direction of God. They are wrong and they will find out that they are wrong. But that's just like Saul. He thinks he is completely right here and he is going to kill the priests of God. Not seek after God to find out what God says to do about it. He has determined this is the course of action that we are going to take. And his own men who follow after him say, this is too much for us. We cannot follow you in this direction. That's too much dishonor. We can't do it. And so he looks around for someone. And the king said to Doeg, you turn and kill the priest. What is Doeg's position? Remember? Head of the herdsmen. Head of the herdsmen. That's not a military position. Not really any kind of a position for what you're asking them to do here. You turn and kill the priest. So what Doeg, the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Now here's what's not in the story, what was going on. You got all his guards that are on the side. And they say, this isn't right. We are not going to do it. They defied a king's order. We will not do it. This is not right. And sat and watched while Doeg did it. They were passionate enough about this to stand up to Saul. They were not passionate enough about it to stand up and stop Doeg. He killed 85 men who were priests. 85 with a sword. He goes up to the one. These are unarmed men. And this one guy who lied about what he heard just goes up to him and takes the sword and cuts them right there. Bleed all over. Goes up to the next one. Cuts them 85 times. And people who were too honorable to do it stood on the sideline and watched. And did not stop them. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and nursing infants. The head of the herdsmen organized people to go along with this. Maybe some of the people who stood up and said, we won't do this, were pulled into the service of doing this. I don't know. But he had to get some other people out there. These are unarmed people. These are people who can't really defend themselves, the women and children. They just went in there and they started slaughtering all them. They, they killed the people in the city. 
Donkeys, uh, I'm sorry, donkeys, oxen, sheep, kill them all. Now before when God said kill all these things, what did Saul do? Well, we need to spare some of them. But here he wants to kill them. What's he do? Wipe them all out. You see how he's made this trip over to the place of dishonor? He's taking people with him. Now he calls for all of them because he's already determined before they ever get there what he's going to do. And he wants them all there so he can kill them. He's already decided what he will do without hearing any testimony. Now I put this in your outline. I believe I left it in there anyway. Talebearers have a way of making you think you heard the whole story after only hearing their version. Be real careful of people who make you think you heard the whole story, but you only heard their version. People of honor are always willing to tell you, I can only tell you what I saw. I can only tell you what I know. And they will always make sure that you realize what they saw, but what they didn't. That's a person of honor. person of dishonor, they want to make the story so elaborate, so complete that you think after you heard it, I don't need to hear any other testimony. This is all we need to do. Now look at the strife that now exists and people will die. God is not in this. Verse 20. Now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. I don't know what David is thinking. I should have gone over and killed Doeg when I had the sword. He may have been thinking something like that. He realized Doeg, at that point, is a person of dishonor. Saul is a person of dishonor. People of dishonor draw people of dishonor to them. People of honor are either repelled and go away or hang around long enough to go in a direction of dishonor. And they will follow after it. And with Saul, he will have some who do just that. If you wonder where Abiathar the priest came from, we hear about him in the stories that come after this. This is where he came from. He came out of the slaughter of the priest's city as the survivor. And David says, stay with me, I'll keep you safe. He says, the people that seek your life, I love this statement. Verse 23, let's read it again. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me... You shall be safe. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine having that kind of confidence in your God? Stay with me. I know he's hunting me down, but with me you're going to be safe. Oof. When confronting people of dishonor, people of honor think that they must always be truthful. Do not fall for the mistake that you must always be truthful with every person. Don't fall for that mistake. Was Jesus truthful 
with every person. He never told a lie. You do not have to tell a lie. I would never tell you to tell a lie. I don't tell you that the Bible tells you to tell a lie. But when people came up to Jesus and asked for truth, he tried to qualify them. I'll tell you the answer to that question if you tell me this. Well, we can't answer that question. Then neither will I tell you. See, not everyone is worthy of the truth. As the famous line goes from the movie, you can't handle the truth. Not everyone who asks for the truth is worthy of it. And don't feel that you have to give it to them. You don't have to give them a lie. But do not feel that you have to give them the truth. You may simply say, I don't have an answer on that for you. Now, when David came into the city, he misrepresented his trip. Why was he lying? It's simple. My idea of this whole thing is, he is trying to protect Ahimelech. If I bring Ahimelech in and I tell him what I'm doing, surely Saul will hold them guilty. He's trying to protect Ahimelech from this whole act. If he has no idea what I'm doing, then he won't be held guilty of it. But he had not, he had underestimated how far Saul had gone down the road of dishonor. He did not think he would go to this, this kind of a level. So he's trying to protect Ahimelech from knowing all the things that were going on and gave him a story that he thought would save his life. It did not. People of honor think they must always be truthful. You do not need to always be truthful. Don't always tell people what's going on. The Lord will show you there are some people in your life that if you speak certain truth to them, they will use it against you. They will use it for wrong means. They will misinterpret it, misuse it, and you just don't need to tell them anything. People of honor think they must divulge everything when asked. Don't. You may know stuff. Doesn't mean you need to divulge it. You are perfectly justified in front of God to not say a word. Don't feel like you've got to divulge anything. I don't need to give you this information. I don't need to tell you this stuff. People of honor think to hide anything is just like lying. It's not. Why did Jesus teach in parables? So that the people who didn't get it wouldn't be responsible for the information. Paul talked about the end times as the mystery. You know what that word means in the Greek? Things hidden. The end times were things hidden. The church age was something that was hidden. People didn't know about it. And then it was revealed. And then once it's revealed, then you can see it. Oh, now I can see where this was here, here. I didn't see. It wasn't revealed. See, sometimes there are some things that God has that aren't revealed just yet. There are still some things we don't know about heaven. A lot of things we don't know about heaven. There's a lot of things we don't know about the millennial reign. They're still hidden from us. God has not revealed all those things to us. 
God doesn't reveal everything to us. And we're on his side. He reveals things a little bit at a time as we're ready for it. Don't feel that you have to follow some kind of thing. The enemy tries to get you to think through guilt. You must reveal everything, otherwise you're lying. No. There are some people, folks, in your life who do not need, do not deserve, and should not know everything that's going on in your life. And you do not need to tell them. Just smile. Sometimes you might just go out to them and say, I'm not going to tell you. But other times you might just not try and put them on a hunt. Just say, I don't have an answer for that. You don't have to directly lie. You don't have to tell a straight up lie, well, it's not this way. But you do not have to reveal the truth. There are an awful lot of examples in the Word of God where this didn't, that didn't happen. Do you know there's a prophet of God in the Old Testament who was called by the king into his chambers and said, tell me what God has said. And he told him what God has said. He said, when people come and they ask you what I called you for, tell them this. And he did. Because they did not need to know why he called them in. It was not for them to know. I don't know if I put this in your outline or not. I think I did. Don't empower the enemy against you. People who lie don't deserve the truth. People who lie don't deserve the truth. And people of dishonor don't deserve honor. Do not treat people of dishonor as if they were honor, honorable people. Don't do it. You will get yourself in trouble. They are people of dishonor. I look at some of the things that have happened in our, in our country and I see people who were people of dishonor, who people who were selfish, people who did things for themselves, people who only cared about themselves. But because they died in some kind of a spectacular way, people made them out to be heroes and made them out to be something that they were not. I've even heard people sing songs about some of these people under the inspiration of God singing songs about these people. And yet up until that time when whatever spectacular death that they had, they lived a life of crime, they lived a life of taking advantage of people, lived a life of hurting people. I'm not saying everybody, but I know an awful lot of them who did. And they're making songs out about these people. No! Do not turn a person of dishonor into a person of honor and blame God for it. That is, that is close, as close to blasphemy as you can get. Because blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to attribute to God the things that Satan has done and the things that God has done to Satan. That is what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Blasphemy of the Spirit is not saying God's name in relationship to certain other things. That's not it. Blaming God for what the devil did or taking something that God did and saying the devil did it. Don't be doing that. Now, God did not make Saul do the right thing in the past, did he? When he was faced with the sacrifice, did God make him wait? He did not. When he went into battle and he decided to spare the king that he went into battle against and he decided to spare 
the best that was there. God didn't make him do the right thing there. And he won't make him not do the wrong thing either. What he will do is put people on your team to use to avoid the trouble that is planned for you. See, people of dishonor have trouble planned for people of honor. What God will do is he will put people on your team to help you avoid that. He will give you wisdom and what to do and how to avoid what is plotted against you. You don't have to lie to get out of it. When you go up against dishonor, when you go up against evil, and you want to stay on the side of good, it is not going to help you to become evil like they are. It's not going to help you to become dishonorable like they are. If they are liars, it's not going to help you to become a liar too. This is not how you combat them. But what you do is look for God to bring people onto your team. We don't have time to go through it, but many times David faced this kind of evil and God sent people to him to help him get through that. And he used those people for what God sent them to him for. There are people that God will send you when these things come up to help you overcome what is there. Use them. Use their expertise. Let them go out there and do the thing that they can do. Don't reveal God's plans to the enemy. Don't tell them the things that you're going going on. You are facing evil. You are facing an evil when you face dishonorable people. You will face an evil that will conceal what it is that they want to do for the purpose of bringing you down. And they will be pretend to be nice, pretend to be kind, and to pretend to be on your side. But in yourself, there is going to be something in them that is going to drive you from them. There is something in them. I don't know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. You are a person of God and there is honor in you. And they are a person of dishonor. And that dishonor in them and that honor in you is like two magnets. And they're repelling each other. They're pushing each other away. I don't know what it is about that person, but I know I am repelled from being aligned with them. That is the honor in you telling you, stay away from that. Don't get involved with that. Don't let that person in. They mean you harm. They're trying to bring you down. God will give you that kind of wisdom. Our God is more powerful than the forces that come against us. David is so confident that the honor in him is going to win out that he tells Abiathar, stay with me. This is the safest place that you can be. Wait a minute. Aren't you the target? Yeah. And this is the safest place that you can be. Can you imagine that? You are a person of honor. You can be just like David. I am in the safest place that I can be. But keep operating as a person of honor. We have more to learn about this, more to learn from the life of David. There is going to be something that goes on with David that will teach us some things about honor that uh, may not blow your socks off, but it will help you. It will help you in the things that you're doing in life and the things that you're facing. Would you all stand up with me?
Well, Father, we, we all face people of dishonor in our lives because people of dishonor are all over. They try and represent themselves as people of honor. They try and represent themselves as doing the things of God, but they are not. They know in themselves that what they plan and what they do is evil and they must conceal it from people who know better. But they're always looking around for people that are drawn to dishonor and to draw them even more into it. Doeg was one of those who was drawn to dishonor. And once he got attached to Saul, did more dishonorable things than he had ever done in his whole life. Just as we've seen in modern times, people doing such dishonorable things because the person they follow who is dishonorable does not walk according to the things of honor. But Father, you have called us to be honorable people, to pursue honor, and in our pursuit of you, we pursue the things of honor. We will find ourselves drawn to things we don't know why, but it's the honor that is in them. It's a magnet that just kind of pulls us in. Those people of dishonor, they're the opposite kind of magnet. They repel us, push us away. Help us to learn how to follow that leading by your Spirit. That we pursue honor and the things of honor. And the people who try and take us down, they will fail. Because you will bring us the things that we need to overcome. You will help us to see that we should use them. And you will give us wisdom to operate. None of the people of dishonor could bring Jesus down. Same was true for Paul. They sure tried. They couldn't succeed. No matter how much dishonor Saul walked in, he keeps increasing it. He could not get to David. I thank you for your protection that is on us. I give you the praise and the glory for it. Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you learned some things today. On, and this, I know this story is probably not unfamiliar to you. You probably know this story uh, between Saul and David pretty well. But looking at it from the standpoint of honor, you will have people in your life that are dishonorable people. They will try and pull you into the same dishonor that they are in. But do not go in that direction. Stay in the direction of honor. In the chapter that comes after this, I don't know if we'll get into it next week, but in the chapter that comes after this, David is going to find 400 men that the society cast out as being dishonorable. And he's going to bring them in and they're going to be drawn to the honor that is in him. And that 400 will become 600. And they became the most powerful fighting force in that day. In fact, those 600 men made up the backbone of David's army when he was king. They did such great feats that we look and we read in the Word of God today what great feats they did. If you ever want to find that out, go back in the 
Bible and look at David's 300 men. There's the three, the 30, and the 300. And the exploits that they did. They came at a people that society cast out as having no value and no worth. But David saw it. They became people of honor. They were drawn to the honor in David and became even more powerful. They became the people that everyone wanted. We can become the people that everyone wants in business, in whatever affairs that we're in because we're people of honor. Don't listen to the lie that you have to become dishonorable to get anywhere. You have to lie, steal, and cheat at least a little bit. But no, you don't. Thank God for that. It's been great seeing you out here today. Do take note in the bulletin. We have some upcoming uh, meetings coming up. Beside Angel coming up here. Um, we got the, the date scheduled for Marty to, to be here in October. So those dates are, are set with us. Uh, if you haven't been here for Marty, you can go up on uh, YouTube and you can find some things from him as well. But uh, it's even better to be here. He doesn't do too much of the stuff that you see on YouTube anymore, but he uh, comes in and he teaches and we just love some of the things that he's able to do. And also there's a softball league that uh, a guy wants to get people involved with. It's on a Sunday at 4 o'clock and it's on the Sundays in June and July. June and July. And if you're interested in that, uh, see Guy. He'll give you some more information about it. There's also a sheet in the back. Or is it, is it you? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was Guy who was putting it together. It's for him. It is for him, <laughs> which is why I was thinking that he was putting it together. <laughs> uh, I would love to play softball, but uh, by 4 o'clock on Sunday, I'm kind of wore out. I start kind of early on these days. But um, it's, a, it's a fun game. If you want to get involved with that, uh, see Janelle up here, and she'll have some information for you and some uh, sheets for you to take home. Have a blessed rest of the day and, and a good holiday tomorrow.